Welcome to the Good Athlete Podcast, the voice of the Good Athlete Project. Today we bring you Scott Caulfield, the head strength and conditioning coach at the National Strength and Conditioning Association. If you've ever been to an NSCA conference, you might remember a jacked guy in a suit in Jordans. He was probably surrounded by a lot of people entertaining a big group with his wit, his humility, and his overflowing knowledge about strength and conditioning. Scott's been a friend for many years now, and there is no surprise that he's risen to the top of the strength and conditioning coaching world. What he is, is an incredible human being. He's humble, he's curious, and he's incredibly generous with his time. He is truly trying to make people better through strength and conditioning. That core is enhanced by experience at every level of strength, including time spent as a strength athlete. He recently finished up a master's degree at the University of Denver, which is really just the cherry on top of an already highly credentialed career. Today we go beyond strength and talk about some of his world travels, as well as some of the people who have highlighted his career, heroes like his mom. We always enjoy talking to Scott and hope you get a lot out of today's episode. All right, so last time we talked, you were, you were in between, I believe, if my timeline is correct, uh, yeah, I think you were coming from Machu Picchu, headed out to Japan. Is that true? Yeah, I think that was right. right? Yeah. yeah. Um, you, tell us yeah. a little bit about those trips. So uh, Machu Picchu was uh, for was a fun was vacation. That was a fun trip. So uh, my girlfriend has a friend who you know had thought of this trip, and she had planned to do it a decade ago, but never did it. So she asked us if we wanted to do it. And, I didn't really know anything about it, honestly. I was like, I've heard, I think I've heard of it. Like, you know, I'm, I get too caught up in strength and conditioning sometimes. <laughs> I don't get outside of my world enough. But um, so I was like, yeah, sure, I'll do it. And then I started looking it up afterwards and I was like, wow, this is really cool. But so we actually did the kind of five day um, hiking tour of the Inca Trail that leads you from Cusco. Uh, you hike every day and then camp at night and then you finally end up coming through the sun gate into Machu Picchu. Um, and it was the, I mean, coolest thing by far that I've done in my lifetime. Um, that just to see the craftsmanship and the, that the Inca people and pre-Inca people were building these things, these structures and the intricacies of how they put, built rocks together and got them to hold each other, hold together, you know, so they wouldn't crumble during earthquakes and the way they built out landscapes and not be caught by landslides. It's, it's unfathomable. You can't really even brain because it's impressive. So that was really cool. What was that? What was that hike like physically? Uh, you know, it ended we, there's a couple points where you hit about 13,000 feet or almost 14,000 feet. Um, you were going six to ten miles a day, so it was a lot of uh, steps, a lot of hiking up. Um, I, I think we had trained pretty well for it, so physically uh, I didn't feel that bad. Um, I live at 6,000 feet here in right. Colorado Springs, so I think altitude-wise, um, I think people coming from sea level could have a very difficult time with it. Um, but I think being that I live at 6,000 feet all the time, I don't, I didn't really have a problem. So like I said, I think we trained for it. I think if you hadn't trained for it, you would have felt the, the, felt the pain a little bit more. <laughs> um, going down it from the sun gate into Machu Picchu, there's like 
3,000 steps or something. So mm -hmm. as you're climbing down, you're pretty sick of walking downstairs after a while. Yeah, <laughs> I believe that. So now definitely, like, you're like, okay, if I don't walk down any steps for a while, I'm going to be okay. <laughs> I like it. And then, uh, so shortly after that, you went off to Japan, correct? Then turned it around, yeah, and went back to Japan. And um, so Japan was the NSCA Japan National Conference. So NSCA Japan is our longest standing and really most organized affiliate. So they've been, they've just celebrated their 25th anniversary as an organization a year or so ago. And uh, they, um, do a really nice job with their conference. So I was a guest speaker there two years ago, and I got to go back this year. And uh, I spoke at their national conference, and they did a couple other things. They just built a performance center for their athletes, for their coaches and athletes in Chiba. So I spoke to a group of coaches at the facility in Chiba, and then um, you know met with their staff, who's now at their performance center, about internships and different opportunities and ways that we train athletes and how they might be able to you know do things but they're those guys are super organized and japan is one of my favorite countries by far i would go to japan every year that's what you were saying how uh tell me what you like about it so much just i love welcoming. the just the culture yeah the people yeah. so the people are so friendly and so um respectful um uh, they're just so um engaging and smart and you know really work hard and the play, I mean, it's just incredible too that that with that many people it's so clean and things are organized and they're just not a lot of crime or not a lot of you know homeless problems it's very um, it's just very structured and organized and respectful so those are the biggest things that turned out the food, I've never eaten anything in Japan that I didn't like, so yeah. I mean, the food is so tough. <laughs> that helps. Yeah. Unparalleled, yeah. Um, and so it's just incredible culture. Um, the last time I was there, I was able to take a few time, a few days at the end of the trip and go skiing up on the northern island. Didn't get to do that this time, but I'm hoping that that's going to be eventually uh, on my list of things to do again. That's very cool. Have you, uh, have you been up Mount Fuji? No, no, did not get to go up Mount Fuji, so I was unable to do that. And, uh, you got to keep going back, then. Uh, yeah, so it's just more reason to go back again. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Okay, yeah. that, that's very cool. When you when you were speaking, did, was there uh, how many people speak English at a concert at a conference like that, or was there a translator? How'd that work? Yeah, we yeah you speak with a translator. Yeah. There's probably there's probably be a few you know there's a handful of people that really understand English uh, well enough that they could do it without so yeah the, the few of them will, will be able to try and get a few words in or right. you know say hi but the vast majority it's speaking with a translator which I actually like it gives you a chance to you know you say what you want to say and then you have a chance to think about your next thought a little yeah. bit longer because they're translating yeah sometimes the translation is way longer too which, which <laughs> It's funny because just the way that they need to say certain things or explain the mm -hmm. strict conditioning in Japanese, it just you're like, did I really say all that? Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's funny. All right. What, well, what's the next exotic trip for you? Uh, nowhere out of the country anytime soon. Um, got a couple ski trips coming up. Vail steamboat, but it's all Colorado, and so nothing planned. So. If someone in Japan listens to this and they want me to come over, uh, 
contact me. <laughs> I like it, man. Well, it just so happens that you live in a vacation spot, so I guess that's not so bad. Not so, <laughs> that's bad. Not so bad. Yeah. We want to know more about you to, you know, just put a story to a face, to a position. Uh, and we also want to maybe even give some hope and, and um, some takeaways for people who are at the early stages who would someday aspire to be where you're at. Well, it's funny because I guess, you know, I really started in this, uh, in being interested in strength and conditioning and its ability to influence sport from being an athlete. So, you know, I always played basketball and actually when I, when I was in the Navy, I was able to play a lot of basketball and I was also lifting at the time. And then I was starting to notice there was like this correlation between being in better shape and like how I could jump better and run faster. And so like I don't know that I knew. And then, you know, it's funny because I train because I lifted a lot. People would then ask me about, can you, you know, can you train me basically, write this, write a program for me. And back then I didn't know anything. Like I, you know, read muscle and fitness all the time. That was my main source of information. Like a lot of people start out. Um, and so when I got out of the military though, I knew that I wanted to go back to school and finish my degree because I had, um, went to college for two years, then joined the Navy and then got out, really went in with the, with the sole goal of I'm going to get out and go back to school. Mm -hmm. So got out, went back to school. Uh, my degree was in physical education with like a non-teaching option, but it was much more, uh, in kind of like an exercise science track. So I had, um, you know, all these different kind of motor learning and um, AMP and all the stuff, except we didn't have exercise science at the school I went to. So um, I knew I didn't want to go to school any longer. To, to do, so I didn't want to stay in school any longer to get my teaching certificate because that would have been an extra year of some other uh, you know prerequisites and like student teaching. But I was like, I'm, I want to work. Um, right. And then I got out and kind of probably like a lot of people realized like I don't really know what I want to do. <laughs> right. And uh, I was working on mailboxes, etc. Uh, you know, at the you know shipping and printing stuff. And I had a part-time job at this gym, yeah. and it was a just a commercial gym. And so after a while, uh, the general manager of the gym was like, "Hey, man, you really like this stuff. You're really passionate, great with people. Like, why don't?" Why don't you just come on full time here at the gym, and then you know we'll talk about you know future. So I basically just went full time at the gym, it was way better, um, and from there that led me into getting a personal training certification um, through just a, an entry level organization. Got got my feet wet and gave me a chance to start training people, and then I started meeting people. So I started going to kind of clinics or you know networking a little bit, which. Um, people told me, hey, if you're interested in training athletes, you got to check out this CSCS certification. And I had no idea what they're talking about. And they told me, you know, look up this organization and SCA. And so I started looking at it and I was like, oh, wow, this is, this is it. So like training athletes in team sports, this is what I need to do. And so um, I studied for that. I still remember, I think, you know, I studied for a few months and Back then, you had to drive, you know, to a testing site and take it with a pen and paper. And I, oh, wow. I lived in central Vermont, and I drove to UMass Amherst. I remember, you know, studying along the way. I remember that day, like, 
pulling into Amherst and being like, huh, how'd I get here? Like, I hadn't even <laughs> been reading my notes and like studying the whole drive on autopilot. And, uh, oh, but, so anyway, got CSCS, knocked it out. Um, and then, yeah, like I said, then, so now I had, you know, the minimum requirement, basically. You know, I had the baseline knowledge to be dangerous, but now I had to train people. So I didn't have any people to train. So I really just had to start it myself from, um, from my own, you know, um, business. And luckily, the club that I worked at allowed me to kind of just do whatever I wanted and try and try and get some more athletes. So started a summer strength and conditioning camp for young athletes so we trained um, basically 13 and up for um, summer camps and then I had done a small um, I think an intro class for like these third and fourth graders that one of our school groups had asked and the father of one of the kids that was in the class came up to me afterwards and he was a coach at Norwich University which is the oldest military university in Vermont and he was the rugby coach there he said, hey, do you think you could do this for a group of 40 rugby, college rugby players? And I was like, thinking to myself, I don't even know what rugby is. Pretty sure I've never even seen it. And I was like, yeah, absolutely. I could totally yeah. do it. And so um, he was great. His name is Bob Wegler. He's still there. He's one of them. He's been there for like 30 years. Awesome rugby coach. And he worked with me a lot, just bringing me up to speed on, you know, uh, play lengths of different you know positions in rugby and the you know demands of the positions and so from from that I was able to you know do basically um, a review of what I thought the sport needed and we ended up training those guys I trained them for a few years and again this is kind of the, I guess it could say kind of the story of my career is just started snowballing into you know me kind of being more confident in training athletes and then being able to, you know, seek out other opportunities in the field. Um, but I continued networking, I continued going to conferences to try to learn more. Uh, the NSCA National Conference was the main one that I went to every year. Um, also, I, I evolved in my training. I think I had heard Ron McKeefery say, he had said a long time ago that, you know, if you're a strength coach, and he was saying if you hadn't played college sports or you, you know you weren't involved really high level sports, he really thought you needed to compete in some sort of strength sport hmm. uh, to really be able to sell yourself as a strength coach. And and I took that to heart, and I got involved in competing in strongman uh, for a number of years. So um, I did that at the North American strongman level. Did three or four strongmans a year for like five or six years. It was a blast, and got you know that also influenced how I trained athletes, and it was just a lot different way to train. It was fun, um, but from being personal trainer and then getting into sports specific stuff at my gym, I, I realized I'm like, well, I need to do this like full time. This needs to not just be a part time part of my job. So I had the opportunity to to work. We had an ABA basketball team come to Central Vermont. So ABA is the old school one with the red, white, and blue ball that Dr. J started out in. So in the early 2000s, they were still running, um, they were still offering franchises in the ABA. It was kind of revitalized by somebody that bought the league. And so um, one of the senior writers for Sports Illustrated, his name is Alex Wolf. He actually lives in Vermont. 
and he bought into a team and he ended up chronicling about it in the SI. So he wrote about it throughout our journey in Sports Illustrated. Um, but we started the team and I contacted them right away when I heard about it. I'm like, if this is coming to my town, I'm going to be involved in it. So yeah. I jumped on it and I contacted them. I met with them before they even hired a head coach. Yeah. And I mean, again, coincidentally enough, or uh, be, you know, if you can say it, people in Vermont all know each other at some level, uh, but they ended up hiring a guy who I knew really well to be the head coach, and he was coaching in Euro, uh, Norway, and so he was actually a really good friend of mine, and so it was just no-brainer, it was automatic. Uh, I became the strength coach and the director of camp, so I ran all their summer camps as well, um, wow. and I actually coached basketball really from... My first job out of high school was coaching basketball at a summer camp in New Jersey called the Hall of Fame Basketball Camp in Montclair State. And I'm probably, I coached basketball uh, from the time I was 18 until the, until I started, you know, really getting into strength and conditioning when I was 30, early 30s. So I think if I didn't end up being a strength coach, I probably would have been. I probably would have ended up being a basketball coach similar in basketball, college. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, and it's very similar, right? Coaching is coaching. It's just different stuff. So um, after working with the ABA team, we had a couple good seasons. We actually won the ABA championship the first year. Oh wow! Uh, and it was pretty amazing. I mean, there was you know 20 or 30 teams. And, our northeast kind of region had really strong teams in that in the ABA the money is so sketchy and so if you know some teams wouldn't show up for the playoffs if it, if they had to travel right, like right. we had we had really lucky in the area that we were in we had you know eight or ten really solid owners and teams and so we had a really good uh, thing and we were yeah we ended up winning it two years in a row so we won the championship two years in a row um, again do you, you know, have do you have an the, ABA ring I do. I have two ABA championship that is rings. Unreal. <laughs> Actually, you're on the. You're on the. And I, we're on, we're on audio, but. Uh, oh my there's one. Unbelievable. <laughs> I don't know how you don't have that on at all times. I will look a little bit ridiculous if I wear the ABA rings. Unbelievable. Uh, <laughs> a matching pair. That's unreal. So yeah, and it was cool. Like I said, he, he wrote about it in Sports Illustrated. So we've yeah. got you know a couple issues where they talked about the Vermont Frosties and being a native Vermonter, it was a cool experience to be involved in basketball at that level. Yeah, uh, most people think of skiing or hockey when they think of Vermont, but basketball has a real deep rich traditions in Vermont as well. So that was super cool. And like I said, I kept networking. I kept going to conferences, meeting people, learning. Um, it led me to go into a private facility down about an hour south in New Hampshire called the River Valley Club. And I was the sports, we call it the sports performance um, facility there. And I, I ran their sports training center, which was a big open area with racks and turf. Um, and I was the director of that for a couple of years. And I was had the opportunity to work with Dartmouth College football at the same time, so I volunteered with Dartmouth College football um, for an entire year before I ever got uh, hired on, and that kind of again snowballed. I was working with the, I should say, I worked with the rugby team when I first went to Dartmouth because I utilized my connection from Norwich University. He knew the coach at, at Dartmouth, so he was like, "Hey, I'll put you in contact with this guy," and it was just automatically we hit it off, and it was no brainer. So I was working with Nor with Dartmouth rugby. 
And then I started working with the football team, like I said, volunteering, not getting paid. I was getting up, you know, five o'clock in the morning to go to the Dartmouth football lifts first, mm-hmm. train there till 8.30 or 9, and go to my sports performance job and train, you know, athletes and regular people all day long. Uh, train myself for a couple hours in the middle of the day, train more athletes in the afternoon, come back at night, train Dartmouth rugby usually at night because we kind of had the last pick of the hours being a club sport, you know, and so probably working 5 a.m. to 9 p.m. some days, and when I look back on it, I'm like, how did I do that, you know, but at the time, I I don't think I thought twice about it. It was like, this is what you're going to do. Yeah just to get this experience and and it was great like I said that snowballed into training um, men's and women's swimming at Dartmouth um, and it was just a great experience um, the coaches I worked with um, along that time too I had been doing stuff for NSCA so I had spoken at a couple NSCA clinics on the state level in NSCA Vermont and um, my good friend Paul Goodman, who has actually been the strength coach for the Chicago Blackhawks since he left the University of Vermont, had a pretty solid run there with a number of Stanley Cups under his belt now. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He was the Vermont State Director, and when he left, he said, hey, they asked me to give him a few names, you know, and I don't really know anyone else that would want to do this. So he's like, do you think you'd want to do it? He's like, if you do, you know, send your resume to this guy or whatever. And so I sent, you know, a resume in and ended up becoming the Vermont State Director of the NSCA and that was really where my kind of involvement in the organization started, you know, Mm -hmm. so now I had much more of a connection and then went to, again, some conferences and just, you know, met other people who were other forms of volunteers, so they were either on committees or they were state and regional directors and they told me more about you know, well, this is kind of how the NSCA works. It's made up by a lot of volunteers, and they do these things on these committees, and it seems super cool. Everybody I met, you know, was like, hey, come hang out with us. Come out to the bar with us. Come to dinner with us. Um, and I was just blown away at the how friendly everyone was and how everyone wanted to help this organization do better things and grow more. And I had been to visit Colorado a couple times. I had come to a clinic at the headquarters and. 08 or 09 and I had been on a committee that came out here in 2010 and I was like wow Colorado is pretty cool you know seems like a great place to live and I was just I was lucky I was single at the time I could afford to put everything in a bag and move if I really had the opportunity to so you know I had put some feelers out in 2010 today if anything ever came up out here I'd be very interested in applying and Got lucky, something popped up in late 2010. I applied and got hired, and I started here in January 2011, and now here we are seven years later. <laughs> the rest is history. That's pretty incredible. I love it. I think it's an inspiring story for a number of reasons. One thing that, that it comes up in conversation pretty regularly is um, the point where you were essentially making an income, but then but volunteered at Dartmouth to keep this whole thing rolling. Uh, the humility and the passion that it takes, uh, I, I'm, I'm just, I wonder if that's not the exception now more maybe than it's ever been, right? But, uh, but, but putting in that front end work, volunteering a little bit, and essentially proving your worth before you ask for a return, I, I yeah. just, I just, I love that model. Yeah, and I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't like this 
I mean, I was inexperienced from a like coaching college experience standpoint, but like, I mean, I think I was I was 36 or 37 years old. I've been lifting weights since I was 20. You know, I mean, I was very experienced. Two rings. That you know, I I knew that I needed to to go in and not tell people how much I know, you know, I had to be, I had to fill up all the water bottles every morning and show these guys that I was willing to be a part of the team at the, at what, not to say the lowest level, but like any level that was going to show them my value and then let them say, Hey, you know what? You, you, you run these warm up guys, you run these guys today, or you take the injured guys today, or, you know, earn their trust. Because again, yeah, I just think that people, maybe get ahead of themselves too much, you know, and I, I just wanted, I knew what I wanted to do at that point, and that was train athletes, and I was going to do it in any way that I could possibly get that experience. You know, I was going to make more money from my private sector stuff, oh, yeah. some of the strength coaches, I mean, at the time, but like, not that that's why I was volunteering, mm-hmm. you know, but it was, it was extra hours, you know. For sure. No, it's not easy. You mentioned uh, kind of a wide range. When you, when you say what you want to do, you say train athletes. You don't say train football players or train hockey players or whatever it might be. You say train athletes, and you've mentioned rugby, football, swimmers, uh, basketball players, the whole gamut. What is, what's consistent um, throughout all of this to you? I think, I, I think I'd ask that question from, from two ways. What's like, I guess, your coaching philosophy, which I know that you – speak to frequently that's a big charge of yours is is uh coaching philosophy uh and then maybe also what are sort of the apps the training absolutes the, you know what what does a swimmer do that a rugby player also does that a uh, skier hoping for the olympics also does what's consistent through those well i think i think what i say a lot is that uh the fundamentals are the fundamentals so no matter what level of sport you're in you have to have these fundamentals, and as you get higher in sport, you basically you're you know the you go up the pyramid farther. If, if the base is all the fundamental stuff and the peak is the more specialized stuff, the, mm-hmm. you can do these things higher and faster and bigger and better at the higher levels of sport. So, mm-hmm. I think that from athletes that I've seen, from junior high and high school all the way through professional athletes, some people just still have never mastered the basics and. From a strength and conditioning coach perspective, right? That's for me. It's movement. It's squatting, lunging, hinging, uh, pressing, pulling. You know, all those f- fundamental movements, having core strength. Um, and so, for me, I would say that everybody has to be able to do these certain basic movements really well. Mm-hmm. And until you can, you shouldn't be doing certain other things. Um, from a coaching philosophy standpoint, I mean, I, I like to train. I'd say there's training philosophy and coaching philosophy, and that's the two differences that I talk about in the article that I just wrote in NSCA Coach that I talked about. So training philosophy is your um, how you use movement and speed and agility and Olympic lifting or powerlifting or whatever, and that's the how you do it. But your coaching philosophy is the why you do it, and that's your core values, your beliefs, your um, you know the things that you do and that you want people to know about you and that they'll recognize in your training and in your coaching practice and the two of those have to be aligned so you have to have a training philosophy and coaching philosophy that are aligned 
and there's different things that you know need to help you know or that if you're being self-reflective and looking at your coaching practice from time to time you can find out if you're not um, if they're not in alignment so if you say you know providing a safe training atmosphere is one of your you know ultimate tenets of your philosophy but then you let you teach kids to do stuff with poor form or you're not watching proper lifting technique then maybe the philosophies aren't lined up um, so that's my little philosophy tangent but <laughs> it's super relevant it's important yeah. to hear I do think that, uh, like I said, if anyone is interested in it, that latest issue of NSCA Coach has uh, my article, and it's you know clarifying the differences between coaching and training philosophy. Hopefully, how to have a, a congruent approach. But like I said, I, yeah, I never like. I mean, I trained basketball athletes a lot because I loved basketball. But like when I moved to Colorado here at the NSCA, the main team that I trained was college hockey, and I. Had, trained uh, a hockey team I had a couple hockey athletes at different levels I never trained a hockey team you know and so I think one of the questions when I first talked to that coach was like oh you know well you've never trained hockey and I was you know and I would have to be like well you know here's the thing I'm a, I'm a professional strength and conditioning coach yeah. like yeah. this is my craft so yep. it doesn't matter if they play hockey or rugby or swimming or baseball yep. or crew mm -hmm. or equestrian I have right. the skills in my toolbox right. to, to find out what they need to do and how to do, and I've had success at it with all these different sports. So, you know, I mean, that's a big thing, too. I think people have to learn, coaches have to learn how to be able to talk to sport coaches, right, and how to sell yourself as much as coaches hate to say the word selling. You're selling yourself and your yeah. abilities to what you're able to do for them. Somebody should be writing right now an article on how to talk to sport coaches. Um, yeah. Because, like, you're right. You, um, the fundamentals point. We always say a body is a body. Like, there's, you're not gonna. I don't care if you're asking that body to do, uh, to play basketball or whatever. Like, you gotta take care of the basic needs of uh, the human body first. Teach it to do these things in a safe and controlled way, and then advance. Like you mentioned, I love that pyramid. Uh, look because that's that's the only real truth it reminds me of we had a coach in here he was he was a strength coach for the Chicago Bulls pretty legitimate guy working with super high caliber athletes obviously and we had a coach come in and you know no names in this whole thing but but I think from a coaching perspective it's you know the, the strength and conditioning experience this is obviously not true for all sport coaches, but some of the strength and conditioning experience includes seeing like a YouTube clip of like the really cool thing that LeBron James did, balancing on one foot on top of a med ball or a BOSU ball, and et cetera, et cetera, um, without recognizing that he has done all that other stuff first a long, long time ago and perfected that. Anyway, we had this, we had a coach come in and say, and ask the Chicago Bulls strength coach, what um, you, what sports specific movements did you do you teach D Rose who was on the Bulls at the time and he was like well uh, for sports specific stuff he plays basketball like what I do with him like like we work on squat we do uh, variations of deadlift we protect his knees we work his core we, you know all this kind of stuff we teach him how to move and then the sports specific training is play basketball right, like we, we right, can't right. do that in the gym yeah so. yeah for me too like the whole you know, the higher level you go, the, 
they, things are just done at a faster level. Like I coached freshman boys basketball, I coached junior, junior varsity girls basketball, and I did drills, right, with those kids in practices that I know the NBA teams did as well. They, whatever it is, if it's a three-man weave to a two-on-one fast break, we did the same drills. They just do them a heck of a lot faster and more efficiently, right? And, yeah, and if yeah. you think about it, I'm teaching junior high kids or high school kids how to Olympic lift mm-hmm. versus probably, and I'm not gonna say all, but probably when I have a college or professional athlete that has been trained over a period of time, they're gonna be much more efficient in their movement, able to do it at a higher speed with more technical efficiency. Right. <laughs> so, right. I mean, that, that was the thing that I had noticed. I was just like, yeah, well the difference in sports, the higher you go is you can just do it at a really faster pace because your fundamentals are so much better too. Right. So they're, they're bigger, faster, stronger, literally. Yeah, literally, yeah. It, <laughs> it's a run before you, uh, or walk before you run sort of approach. I told you, I am, I'm with that completely. Coach Nadalna's lightning right. round. The first one I got is uh, looking for your favorite book and movie unrelated to your field. Favorite book and movie unrelated to the field. Uh, so the the book that I go back to a lot is actually Jim Collins' Good to Great, mm-hmm. uh, which is a business book. I actually had, also in my master's program, we had in my master's in sport coaching program, they utilized that book for an entire class uh, for a quarter, wow. and it was related to coaching. It was just super cool. So it's, it's unrelated to coaching, but ultimately it is related to coaching. Um, favorite movie would probably have to be Top Gun, I think. I'm a, yeah. I'm a old school, you know, Tom Cruise guy, so I probably have a bunch of Tom Cruise movies that would be up there, but I think <laughs> Top Gun was probably one that inspired me to go in the Navy and become a, uh, become an aircraft director, which is what I did, like the guys that land the jets on the out on the uh, aircraft carriers, that's what oh, I did, so. Inspired nice. <laughs> by Top Gun, look at this. We gotta send this to Tom Cruise. Well, actually, uh, quick quick fun fact. Recruitment in the Navy like skyrocketed after that movie came out. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so you're far from the only guy. <laughs> yeah, well, that, cause, yeah, that was right around like Gulf War time, I think, you know, too, and that, yeah, that was, I know a few people that got sucked in by that. <laughs> <laughs> um, first concert you attended? First concert, I think, was uh, ACDC. Um, I can't remember. Oh, man. I don't know if it was Thunderstruck. Uh, it would have been 1987, 88, somewhere. Worcester, Mass, and the Worcester Coliseum. It's amazing. Yep. <laughs> I don't know how my parents let me go with those guys <laughs> that we ended up going with, but they did. <laughs> Awesome. And it's been on every weight room mix since. Yeah, I think I think L.A. Guns was the band that opened for them. Uh, another like classic metal hair band <laughs> in the day. Yeah. Love it. Uh, this one is a very personal one to you. Uh, favorite pair of Air Jordans. Okay. Oh yeah, that's a good one. Uh, so I'm an early Jordan guy for sure. So you know the, I really think that. Probably the twos are my favorite, although the ones, I just, I mean, I always go back to the ones because, like, that was, he was the man. Like, that was, that was the ultimate. And yeah. the, those retro ones that I have now, because I don't, I, I did have the ones at the time when they were the real ones, when they were like, 
$99. And it was like, oh my gosh, these are so expensive back then. <laughs> um, but, I, you know, I'm an early. I'm like a, uh, I'm one through six or seven is really my cutoff. As they got up much farther than that, the 11s are cool, the, the patent leather. The 11s are pretty sweet, but yeah, I'm an early, like one through five for the most part. All right, I like it. Uh, there may be many people, but publicly thank one person. Uh, I would thank my mom. My mom was a basketball coach and like literally would bring me to the gym when she was coaching and I would just be on the side uh, doing my thing. And she ended up being a referee after that. She was a teacher, she was an educator. She worked for uh, the state of Vermont for a long time in an adult diploma program where if you didn't finish high school, you could go through her program and get your actual diploma. Wow. But literally, she got me into coaching and got my, you know, passion and experience in the first coaching experience that I ever had. So definitely her top of the list. Sounds also, great. far better athlete than I ever was. She was inducted <laughs> into the uh, Johnson State College Athletic Hall of Fame in like the second class they ever inducted. So she was wow. a stud. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Impressive. All right, well, I've got kind of two uh, pull-it-all-together questions, hopefully. Uh, real, hopefully real good takeaways. One is, what would a successful day look like in your world? What would constitute a successful day? A uh, successful day would be walking the dogs, enjoying some early morning kind of quiet time, getting my mind right, enjoying the outdoors. Um, yeah. Work-wise is kind of coming in here, Interacting with some of our athletes, whether that's our, you know, police athletes that are usually in in the morning, or some of our other uh, kind of uh, other older athletes that are here, um, working on a lot of different things uh, through my job that impact coaches. So, whether it's conferences and events that we're working on, or thinking of better and different ways to deliver uh, sessions at our conferences. Um, Working, you know, talking to a number of different coaches who may just be reaching out for whatever reason they have a question or they're doing something. So, interacting with the Joe Kens and the college strength coaches that I talk to on a regular basis. Um, that's really the coolest part of my job. And then getting to train some athletes in the afternoon. A lot of our high school athletes come in then. So, jumping in, helping out my team. Um, and again, just being in. In the facility, you never know who's coming by. We've got a coach from Michael Johnson Performance Center come by today that reached out, and we had a bunch of um, owners and um, coaches from Redline Athletics come by on Friday that were in town for a national training, and so we just got to talk shop and you know tell them about why NSC certification is important, how we might be able to help them find qualified coaches for their facilities. So yeah. that's really you know like I said all the outreach and connection with other coaches from high school through professional to international is I think the coolest part of my job. Getting a little lift in myself at you some have point. To. You, know, you gotta be, be a practitioner, right? You have to. Well then, uh, okay, so then my final question would be this. If, if there is a young coach uh, listening to this, hopefully was inspired a little bit by your story, uh, but what's one piece of advice you would give to that young person? Uh, one piece of advice would be, I mean, you, you have to get experience. So 
yes, the education and certification pieces are huge, and those are the prerequisites. Um, if you don't have practical experience coaching and training yourself, you're not going to be able to be as effective. So while the book knowledge is, is absolutely necessary, the other stuff, the other knowledge, the being able to show proper technique mm -hmm. and whether, you know, like I said, whether you're 37 or 17, you know, if you have to volunteer to get that experience, then that's what you're going to need to do if you want, if you truly want to do this. That makes a lot of sense. Um, I hear, I've heard complaints before that there are uh, in the internet, or excuse me, in the Instagram age, there are too many 23-year-old gurus out there, and, uh, and and we need more people who do what you say, which is uh, education, certification, and then gaining experience, right? Because how do you apply all that stuff that you've learned? And I think one of the reasons that um, that that we appreciate you, your friendship, everything that you're doing for the NSCA so much is because we we really do believe the business is about results and relationships, right? Can you can you do your job and get results for people, and can you develop relationships with people? And I think you have that blend as um, as much as anyone that we we come across. I think it's why you're where you're at now, and I think it's why you are so respected in the field. So. One of my mentors always used to say that. It's funny that you use that too because she used to talk about results and relationships in a presentation she used to give. Yeah. Who, and who was this? Uh, her name is Jen Paul Jasek. She's the CEO now of the River Valley Club in New Hampshire that I worked at. So I was the, you know, the director of the Sports Performance Center. But that was something she always talked about was results and relationships. And it is. I say it too. So when I hear you say it, I'm like, yes. <laughs> and it's cool that you didn't hear it, that we didn't hear it from each other either. You know, we no, no. these things that like, yeah, it's all, you have to be able to obviously get results, whether you're a personal trainer or whether you're a professional strength coach. Mm -hmm. But it, it, it's nothing without the relationships as well, because there's probably plenty of really, really good technical people out there. Mm -hmm. But if they're not able to build relationships, whether that's with sport coaches, whether that's with administrators, and especially with the athletes, yeah. you know, that people talk about that all the time too, right? With like training programs, like if you have buy-in from your athletes, maybe your training program isn't the greatest thing since sliced bread, right? Mm -hmm. But they believe in it and they get results from it. And that's what it's all about. <laughs> for sure, for sure. If you can, uh, you know, we work at the high school level, which you know, steps one through five might just be getting people to show up consistently. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, like the tra you could have, you could have a, a, the most finely tuned training program that exists, but if student X doesn't believe in you and your mission and, and is willing to keep showing up, then that, you know, then it's why, then it doesn't matter. It's noise. Right. Um, yeah. So yeah, no, I, I agree. It's, it's absolutely the key. So yeah, what's uh what's the next conference or what's the best uh, next big step for you? Uh, so I am speaking at a hammer strength clinic at the Philadelphia Eagles facility on March twenty fourth. So that's the next thing I have going. So very cool. And they had they didn't win the they I they had not won the Super Bowl yet when I agreed to speak at it. So I'm I'm not just cherry picking my no. Uh, no. My, <laughs> well, I think that's awesome, man. Do you have a book coming out or anything like that? No books. No, I wrote a couple no. articles. Just had a coach article come out, and then we had another. We have one in uh, SCJ right now that's uh, 
kind of the social construction of strength and conditioning. It's gonna it's getting reviewed. We just went through a secondary review process, so it's yeah. uh, it's been you know that level of writing is pretty hard. But yeah. the social construction of strength and conditioning. I'm interested in that. What is that? Yeah, it's called the social construction of strength and conditioning coach knowledge and practice. What the construction means to developing strength coaches. Um, it's heavy, man. It's like. <laughs> Uh, it's really about like how critical self-reflection is a part of ultimately developing yourself as a coach. Um, but like, how do you know what's what's good practices versus not good practices? You know, sure. um, and then we look at a little bit of uh, one of the foremost social theory uh, researchers, Michael Foucault, who was a uh, guy from France and he talks a lot about the uh, influence of power in, I mean he looked at it in prisons and in right. church as in the military but then he also draw, drew a lot of, uh, in, of parallels to sport and so like why you know why everything in sport it tends to be in strength and conditioning or sport tends to be like on a time clock or mm -hmm. organized in rows or you know exactly on the whistle and like all the stuff that just becomes controlled and makes you know kind of robotic non-thinking machines out of people um and is that good or bad like i'm not necessarily maybe some of it is good but maybe it's not if we're trying to like make athletes that think on their feet and can you know be useful in many different ways then they don't know what happens when, oh, well, I'm waiting at this line for this whistle. What? <laughs> yeah, totally. That, that's, that aligns exactly with some of the stuff that we've talked about before. Like if you think of, and I guess I, wouldn't, I won't go into the idea of rearranging the rules of sports, but like if you think about creating uh, or using athletics as a platform to create a human being that can interact with the world successfully and think on their feet and adapt and all that kind of stuff, uh, then then hyper rigid coaching is just the same as like rote memorization in the classroom, right? Like you're, yeah. you're following the rules, but are you like, you know, is it accomplishing your educational goals? I wonder. Yeah. That's really yeah. interesting. Yeah. And he, well, our, this guy, Joe Mills is the lead author on it. He's a professor up in Alberta, but he's very, he's way more in tune with this stuff than I am. I mean, he's like, he talks about you know how you talk about training the body as a whole, but then a lot of training is compartmentalized, basically, right? And mm -hmm. We have our arm farm workout, and like right, you know, right. we we really you know, ultimately right. training the body, and you know, what about the minutia, minutia muscles, or like, could yeah, you can do a hundred push-ups as fast as you can, but like, could you really do five super strict under control using every muscle in your body? Like, hmm. maybe not. <laughs> I don't know. He gets way off into like another level of it, like sometimes, but it That's makes awesome. you, I think there's an in-between. For sure. It, it, it all, regardless of how deep you jump in, it does kind of come back to your point of uh, critical self-reflection, yeah. right? And, and part, of, part of that self-reflection is, are you in the deep end so far that your audience can't understand you perhaps? Um, you know, and how do you balance like the super high level uh, philosophical 
thinking with the um, you know the kind of conversation that that a coach can pick up and use, right? Yeah. Accessibility is huge in that point. Yeah, yeah. This week's episode is brought to you by Remind Recover. Remind Recover is a supplement that helps athletes support brain health. Similar to how you drink a protein shake to help your muscles recover after a workout, Remind Recover has been scientifically formulated to give you the nutritional building blocks to help support healthy brain function. I am a huge fan of Remind Recover. It is as close to the science as any supplement I've seen, and feel free to check out their website for more. It's remindrecover.com. And when you go there, if you want to place an order, and I recommend it, use the code GOODATHLETE for a discount on checkout. 